today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are currently living in a foreign country. And we are called to live our lives without compromise. We're called to live our lives with a deep faith uh, in our Lord. And we are called to be men and women with the heart and with the spirit of, of Daniel to be able to stand against it when the flow comes against us. And one of the things that we see about Daniel, he was a guy that was willing to suffer the consequences for standing for the truth. While you should be a good citizen of whatever earthly country you reside in, ultimately, as a believer, you're a foreigner in this land. Whether your country embraces Christianity or rejects and persecutes it, you're called to live first and foremost as a citizen of the kingdom of God. As Pastor David begins our exploration of the book of Daniel in today's message, you can take inspiration from his life. Even as a culture around him rebelled, he stood fast in his faith and unashamedly spoke the truth. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Daniel chapter 1 as he begins his message, Visions for the Times and for the Future, part 1. Now, if you have not read Daniel over, uh, you know, in, in a while, it's a fairly short book for being one of the major prophets. It's 12 chapters long. It doesn't take a great deal of time to read it, but it's an absolutely fascinating read. In the book of Daniel, you have uh, narratives, you have uh, history, you have uh, prophecy, and you have apocalyptic, in other words, end-time uh, teachings. All of that like, like squeezed into this, this one, all-in-one kind of a book. Absolutely amazing story of a man who lived his life without compromise, lived his life without compromise, and with a really deep faith in the God that he loved and that he trusted. He put his life on the line uh, several times and while he was living in a foreign country. And by the way, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are currently living in a foreign country. And uh, we are called to live our lives without compromise. We're called to live our lives with a deep faith uh, in our Lord and we are called to be men and women with the heart and with the spirit of, of Daniel, to be able to stand against it when the flow comes against us. And one of the things that we see about Daniel, he was a guy that was willing to suffer the consequences for standing for the truth. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I'll stand for the truth, but you know, uh, unless it gets tough, you know, then I'll kind of back down. No, Daniel knew that if he took this stand, he was gonna be in trouble. Uh, Daniel knew that if he stood 
fast and firm in his faith. It was gonna go against everything that those in authority over him were going to push on him. But he stood and he saw the, the, the amazing work of God, the, the, the work of God uh, in, in supernatural ways. He saw that sovereign hand of God working all throughout his, the, the area in, in, in kings, in godless kings because he dared to take a stand. And if you don't believe that God can move in godless cultures and in godless people, you need to read the book of Daniel again because that's exactly what happens. God moving even through godless cultures, through godless kings to, again, bring about his plans and his purposes. Well, back in 605, B.C. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler over Babylon. They had just defeated the Egyptian empire, and now they were coming once again against the, 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 the country, the nation of, of Judah. And as he comes, as Nebuchadnezzar and the forces of the Babylonian empire come against Jerusalem, Jehoiakim who is the second son of the good king, Josiah. Josiah actually had three sons. Uh, the, the first son was on the throne for a while. He didn't last for very long. Then they put the third son on the throne. The Egyptians came and took him uh, captive, and he died shortly thereafter. And then the Egyptians put Jehoiakim on the throne as kind of a, a, a vassal to Egypt. He was paying tribute to Egypt. Well, once the Babylonians came through and they defeated the Egyptians, well, Jehoiakim then, he, he kind of changed his allegiance and now he, he's all for Babylon because he doesn't want Jerusalem destroyed. So he begins paying tribute to Nebuchadnezzar and part of that tribute was handing over some of the temple artifacts, some of the items used uh, in worship he handed to Nebuchadnezzar as well as allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take some of the royal family as well as some of the nobility out of Jerusalem and bring them into captivity. Now, this is before, about 20 years or so before, the final fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonians when everything went. This is like 20 years prior to that. We have a group of individuals from the royal family of nobility that are taken as exiles up into the area of Babylon. Among those are four men by the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, these four guys, again, later to be known, uh, Daniel even got to change his name, but we don't call him this very much, Belteshazzar. But uh, Daniel, uh, the other guys got their names changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the book of Daniel itself, uh, it's got so many interesting lessons within it and a lot of interesting features about it. As a matter of fact, uh, it's written in a couple of different languages, and this causes critics of the book of Daniel a lot of consternation in trying to figure out, well, was it Daniel that wrote the whole thing, or did he write a portion of it and somebody else wrote the other? Chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, is written in Hebrew. Then all of a sudden we get to chapter two, verse four, and on through chapter seven, verse 28, nearly half the book of Daniel, that's written in Aramaic. 
And then we get to chapter four, or our chapter eight through 12, we skip back to Hebrew again. So Hebrew, Aramaic for the biggest portion, and then back to Hebrew again. Not only was there a change in the language that, again, uh, that, that, that causes the critics, you know, to question some things, but also we see that some of the prophecies that are in Daniel are so right on the target, right exact, that some of these critics say, well, God couldn't have prophesied that. It had to be written later after these events happened because they don't believe in a great God. And so it's really easy for them to say, well, no, he must, somebody else must have written that. must have been written much later. Well, you, you can make those claims some 2,600 years later, uh, again, by human logic. But again, if you truly know God, if you trust God, if you see the hand and the work of Almighty God from the Old Testament on through the New Testament, I believe it's very easy to believe that God gave Daniel these visions and Daniel wrote them down at the time. And again, the the accuracy on them is one of the things that you and I need to pay attention to. If God could be that right on accurate in prophecies of back then, we have prophecies that are about to be fulfilled in these last days that we also can trust God that he's gonna be accurate for. We see all the accuracies of the prophecies of the coming of Messiah, the very life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. We've seen those, we, we, we've, we've read of those, we know those are there. We see the fulfillment in Christ and they were right on exact. Well, beloved, God hasn't changed. He still speaks the truth and he speaks the future as though it's already happened. So as we look at this book in its entirety, we see this long series of God's provision, God gifting Daniel to be able to, um, not only to, to know a dream that's unknown, but also to interpret, to interpret the signs, to be able to receive from the Lord these prophecies, to be able to stand against the press of the culture. And God placed Daniel in a very high place in in the offices of the culture he was living in because he was a man of no compromise. They knew that they could trust Daniel. And God used Daniel to minister and literally to serve under the kingdoms of both Babylon as well as Persia. He's gone through all of this. His own life literally becomes a picture of how God can take the worst of situations and turn it around for his good. A Romans 8.28 right there, right in front of us. The events, the visions, the, the interpretations, all of these found within the book of Daniel also brings not only an amazing event that's going on at that point and at that time, but I believe that it brings great assurance to God's people all through the ages. When we look at the fact that, first of all, in a more immediate sense, during at his, the time of his writing, the people in exile, they got this assurance that the situation that they were under is under God's control because they could see, they, they heard, they understood what was going on in Daniel. This Hebrew man, 
that didn't have to compromise in order to get position. He didn't have to, to bend his ways in order to get places of power. He stood firm in his faith, stood firm in his uh, uh, commitment, uh, uncompromised, and yet God raised him up. It gave those that were in exile and those that were yet to come into exile, again, this understanding that God is, again, going to be with them in the midst of that. God will always fulfill his promises, and God had made that great promise to Abraham, again, for the children of Abraham and the nation of Israel that God was gonna continue to use them. God would fulfill his promise to the Jewish people that they were still going to be a channel of blessing to all of the nations. You're not gonna be in exile forever. This is a time of, of, uh, I say, woodshed education, okay, uh, for, for Israel. This was the time they went back to the woodshed, got, got a bit of a whooping because, again, they had been so disobedient for so long. God says, I've got to get your attention. You're not listening. Even with all the other things that came your way, you were not listening. So now I'm gonna bring you into exile and I'm gonna make you uh, once again Slaves of another people. That's where I called you out of. You would think that you would continue to be, uh, again, faithful to me, but they weren't. So God took them to the woodshed, to borrow an old uh, uh, saying, and again, got their attention one more time. And the providence of God was actively involved in the history and in the lives of the people, not only of Israel, but also the people of Babylon, and after that, the Persian Empire, as we see, again, God's hand working in and through this. Now, Daniel can be divided, actually, in a lot of different ways, as I was studying through this, different ones divide and take different directions with it. But I, for those of you that know me, you know, I just took the simple route, okay? I divided into two sections, chapters one through six, chapter seven through 12, right down the middle. So the first half, uh, chapters one to six, second half, chapters uh, seven through 11. Now this first section, or seven through 12, this first section, we see uh, actually the, the narrative, the, the history of Daniel and uh, again, the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their interaction with the culture that suddenly they find themselves captured and, and brought into. Daniel, again, chapters one through six, largely historical, largely narrative, explaining how Daniel came to be in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, speaking of the, again, the, the pressures, the persecutions, the trials that they were under because they would not compromise. Again, the, the, even the change of the, the power, the leadership, the coming of the Persian Empire and the impact and those things. So we see that in the first half. In chapter one, and again, as I've shared with you, as we go through these books on our Wednesday nights, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss your favorite verse in Daniel. I already know that, okay? So just, just be at ease with that. It's not that that verse that you love in Daniel is of any less importance. It's just that I know that I'm gonna miss that one, okay? Because there is so much in Daniel to touch on. We're gonna touch, uh, again, we're flying 33,000 feet over the book of Daniel, okay? And, and I'm trying to point out some things to hopefully give you that hunger to say, man, I, I, I forgot about all that. 
I want to go back and read it one more time. Or, hey, I've never really dove into that because I thought it was this spooky kind of prophetic thing that I have a hard time. No, Daniel is such an awesome book. Take the opportunity. So again, chapter one, primarily Daniel and his three friends, they come into captivity and they, again, are told that as, again, the, these... Uh, I don't want to call them slaves. Uh, they, they're actually brought into the court of Nebuchadnezzar. He's taking the brightest, the, the, the smartest, even, even the good-looking ones. I, I love how he writes this. Let me see if, uh, yeah, in uh, uh, verse 3, the king instructed Ashpenaz, the, the master of the eunuchs, uh, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom... There was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted. Now, you got to figure that. Now, when I read this, I'm thinking, okay, Daniel's writing this, okay. The king got all us good-looking guys. He got those of us that, that we possess knowledge, uh, quick to understand. I don't think he had a pride problem. I really don't. But when I read that, I had to think, okay, this is the guy that's writing it. Uh, all the good-looking guys, uh, those without blemish, good-looking, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had an ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Now, they, they were going to be fed well. They were going to have all kinds of food here in the Babylonian deal, and they are going to provide them with wine and just really take care of these guys. But Daniel says, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. This food that you want to set before us, this, this is stuff that we don't eat because of our, uh, again, uh, the, for, for the laws of, of Judaism. And so he goes, and again, verse 8, Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. And so he requested the chief of the eunuchs, hey, let, it, let us not eat that. Let us, let us just eat vegetables and, and stuff for a while and, and, or instead of all of this stuff. And again, the chief of the eunuch said, man, I can't let you do that because if your countenance goes down, if your weight goes down, if you're not as strong as these other guys, you're going to get in trouble and so will I. And Daniel told him, he said, look, please test your servants. This is down to verse 12. Test your servants for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. So he became a vegetarian, okay? I don't have anything against vegetarians, Vegetables feed the cattle, and I like cattle. So please test your servants for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, then so deal with your servants. So he consented, and he did it. At the end of the 10 days, their features actually appeared better, and they, they were fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams." Down in verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, again, 10 times. Is that because they ate broccoli? It just made them smarter? I don't think so. I mean, 
It's okay to eat broccoli and it's good. God did this. God gifted them to be able to draw this stuff in, to soak this stuff in. And again, God gifted them to be able to understand these things. Why? Because God was showing that he's stronger than any empire. He's stronger than any logic of man. And so we see, again, God working and moving through this because Daniel would not compromise his life. Neither would the other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter two, moving on. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Of course, that dream comes along and he calls for all of his magicians to come in. I've had a dream. My spirit is anxious within me. I want to know the dream. Not only does he want to know the interpretation of the dream, but he wants to know what the dream is. He wants them to tell him what his dream is. How many of you ever had a dream you wake up and you think, man, I had this dream. I know it's kind of a cool dream. I just can't remember what the dream was. I, I have that all the time. And I dream very vivid dreams. And sometimes I wake up and I think, man, I don't know what that was. Well, this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I think that he woke up. I don't think that he really remembered fully. He wants his magicians, his astrologers, all of his wise guys to come up not only with the dream, but now the interpretation. And then he he tells him in verse five, he says, my decision is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you're gonna be cut to pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Well, you can imagine these guys, man, they're, they're trying to do the, the swift foot, trying to figure out, okay, come on, uh, what, what, what are we gonna say? We can't tell him just something because he'll probably remember really what his dream is and then he'll, he'll know that that wasn't right. So they asked Nebuchadnezzar, what, no, why don't you tell us the dream? We'll give you an interpretation. Well, hey, I could ask any of you here, Tell me your last dream. I'll give you an interpretation of it, okay? No big problem. It may not be right, but I can give you an interpretation. But there's not a one of you in here right now that I'm gonna be able to tell you what you dreamed last night. And that's the sticky situation that these guys found themselves in. So Nebuchadnezzar was beside himself. He says, okay, I'm gonna kill them all. So again, as they go on, the king was, verse 12 says, the king was angry, is very furious. He gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Well, once Daniel found out about this, he says, what's so urgent about the king's decree? They explained it to Daniel. Daniel went in, he asked, verse 16, went in, asked the king to give him time. Then in verse 17, he went to his house, made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek the mercies from God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. God gave him not only the dream, but he gave him the interpretation. Skip over to verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but I can. Is that what he said? No. He gave glory to God right away. 
said, look, these, these guys can't do this. But the God, there is a God in heaven, King, that can do that. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.